Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yes. Welcome back to another episode of the Tube Talk podcast presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech. I am an executive producer here at vidIQ. And unfortunately, this week, I don't have my usual co-pilot, Dan. He took the day off, but that's okay, because I have a couple of my other co-workers here today. First up, let me introduce to y'all the face of vidIQ. You might know who he is. Mr. Rob Wilson is here. What's up, sir? How you doing, man? First of all, unfortunately. What? Fortunately? Dan's not here? Let's everybody celebrate. We can party. (laughs) Oh, my word. Hey, everybody. Long time no here, because obviously you can't see me for the podcast. But it is nice that you're all listening in and continuing to enjoy the vidIQ experience. And Viper almost shouted me out of my sheet. Uh, my blimey S- shouted me out of my seat with his introduction there. Oh, Viper's not shouting anybody out of any sheets, buddy. <laughs> sheets, we said sheets, <laughs> just to clarify. Editor, have fun with that one. Oh, god, appreciate you making the time, Rob. So, thank you. And also, we have the man that sits in the background and he's making moves, but nobody knows who he is. We have the other Dan in the building. Mr. Daniel Hohauser. What's up, Dan? How you doing? What's going on, Viper? Thanks for having me here. Happy to fulfill the Dan quotient, which is something <laughs> that, that happens occasionally on our Tuesday live stream. So if Dan cannot make it or if the electronics that I think fuel his circuits inside of him go out of date for a day, usually it's me that will jump in and fill the void when I can. But as you said, sort of in the background on a day-to-day basis, which, uh, you know, I like it. As we've discussed uh, off air, my microphone doesn't often work. So uh, it's better to stay off the air in situations like that. <laughs> I got you, man. Poor Danny. <laughs> Poor Danny. He's just not here to defend himself. We love you, actually, Dan. <laughs> Appreciate you being here, Daniel. Thank you, man. This episode is going to be a little different because this is the week of Thanksgiving. So instead of having a normal guest on here, I figured I would bring my other two coworkers in here. So it's going to be me, Rob, and Daniel this week. We're just going to talk about the state of it IQ. We're talk about the milestones that we hit as a company recently talk about what the gents do on a day-to-day and different things like that, and then we'll keep it moving. But I guess we should probably begin with the big milestone that the vidIQ YouTube channel hit recently. We crossed 1 million subscribers, I think. What was it? One or two Saturdays ago, Rob? So it was, I'm doing some quick maths here, I think it was Saturday the 13th of November at 4.40-something o'clock in the morning, local time, which was awesome. Since we always hit our milestones in the middle of the morning, but since it was uh, quite a special one, I managed to wake up and I thank you, Viper, for also joining me at that momentous occasion when we did actually hit exactly 1 million subscribers. It didn't roll over to a million and four or a million and 12 or anything. We actually got a screenshot of 1 million. So I guess thank you to everybody who's listening, who has pressed that red button on the channel. And thank you to you, of course, Viper, Daniel, Dan, Travis, Liron, Alexi, and all of the names I'm currently forgetting right now who have supported the channel over the last, I would say, five and a half years of its active existence. It's been around since 2012 or 13, I can't quite remember. But we really started taking the channel seriously when I first started publishing videos five and a half years ago. That is an incredible milestone, man. And congratulations to you and everybody else who've been here for a while. 
putting the time and the effort in to build a channel up into what it is today and make vidIQ the company that it is today. So shout out to everybody involved because that is quite the undertaking and quite the milestone. Hitting 1 million subscribers on any YouTube channel is amazing, but having it be vidIQ and just having it kind of validate in a way what we do for the community as far as helping people grow and learn YouTube, incredible, man. So shout out to Rob. And I thought you put in the order for the go play button, so you should have that pretty soon, right? It is winging its way towards me right now. I promise you, I don't have it on Active Tracker. I'm not aware that currently it is in Portland. So I got to know, Mr. Hohauser, what were you doing the moment that VidIQ hit a million subscribers? Where were you? I was sleeping. I guess it's no surprise. <laughs> you know, we were trying to map this out as best as possible, but we knew that there was no chance of narrowing the time. But we did that Friday live stream and you know, wasn't super structured, but Rob was just having fun and doing his thing. And we had the counter up. And by the end of that stream, we, you know, we had gotten like a thousand subscribers and we were like really pushing the envelope on the time. So I was like, all right, I think it's going to be in the morning. I woke up. I think we had a million and 36 subscribers uh, when I woke up and I was like, all right, I'm going to rewind the screen, take some screenshots of the joy and, uh, let you guys just sort of enjoy the moment for it. But obviously, I, you know, a huge milestone, a million subscribers is a crazy thing to think about. And I think for any person who's thinking of starting a channel or is, you know, in the process of doing it or has been doing it for years, that is such an important part of it. And I think, you know, we like to downplay it a bit and say like, okay, you know, it's views that matter. It's these metrics that matters. It's you know, growth that matters take, you know, the joy in the little things and these little moments, but every single one of us day one, starting out as a YouTuber thought like, man, that million subscribers, that's the number. Like if I hit it, like, and obviously we know things don't change when you hit a million subscribers. And if you stick along with us, the rest of this podcast, we're going to discuss all the challenges that we have and all the things that, you know, we now fear that we're at a million subscribers and what do we do, but still pretty freaking cool. And, you know, no one can ever, ever take that away from this team and take that away from Rob and take that away from vidIQ. And it's just an amazing thing. I'm glad that you reminded me, uh, Daniel, of, of what happened to the subscribers when we were close. And it is a very dirty, cheap hack. But when we put on screen, not only the subscriber count, but when people subscribed and their names, that rapidly increased uh, the subscribers. And just because it was, it was effectively a free shout out and everybody started doing it. I'm not going to recommend it on a daily basis, but you know, when you're reaching a milestone, then it, it is a nice little thing to play about with. <laughs> Definitely. And then there's the whole thing of people unsubscribing and resubscribing it so they could be the 1 million subscribers. So you always got that stuff going on as well. <laughs> well, it was funny, wasn't it? Because it, it looked like the subscriber count was delayed. We, we hit a million. And then all of a sudden, over the next 30 seconds, we suddenly got another 200 subscribers because everybody was trying to get there, but they were obviously too late because subscriber counts are always slightly delayed, even the ones on the studio. So yeah, we suddenly went up to a million and 200. And then 45 minutes later, we went back down to like a million and 50. It was like, whoa, we're going to have to do this all over again. <laughs> Definitely. So I got to answer the question for you, Daniel. Obviously, the one million subscriber milestone is a YouTube milestone, but you handle other areas of social media for vidIQ. So I'm curious, what was your take on the reaction around social media as a whole when vidIQ reached that special moment? Oh, well, I mean, I think it's no surprise that the response was amazing from our community. Everyone was, you know, extremely happy for us. And the way you look back at it, right, it's a, a million of them is what we achieved, right? A million people we've touched, a million people who've hit that red button and subscribed. So every single person 
you know, who responded on social media to all of the posts, to approaching a million subscribers, to hitting a million subscribers, to ordering the gold play button, to Rob Wilson making his own fake 1 million play button. You know, they've touched every single aspect of that. They've always been a part of that. They're the ones literally clicking the button, coming into the live streams, doing all the community building within themselves. And that's always, again, a beautiful thing about this. It's a million channels, people, whatever you want to call that metric, but there's little networks within that giant group of the community, the people who are on our discord, who are on our Twitter, the people who are in our live streams, who have connected with each other either offline or even just in the chats where they like, wow, I see that person every single week. You know, I've got to say what up to him, see how he's doing. You know, you get little snippets of their life in that chat and you just realize what even 500 people in a live stream is and what a million people across the world, across YouTube and what kind of just networks, again, things that we will never even see, things that will never come across our social timelines, things that will never come across in a comment people who have just talked to each other or made a little bit of a connection or got a little bit of motivation from vidIQ along the way and you know just a representation of all that and again that's why they've all been super happy for us super happy for Rob super happy for the team and again every time that shining face of Rob smiling with his eyes wide and his youtuber <laughs> face with that award next to him from 700,000 to 400,000 all the way up Every time that that picture goes up, as a social media manager, you sit back and you think like, all right, I could take the next few hours off. We're going to get a bunch of engagements. <laughs> Everyone's going to hit like uh, on that thing, and I'll uh, move on with some other important aspect of my day. One of the coolest things that you and Rob do to engage with the community is that, Daniel, you will take a picture of Rob and then let the community meme it, which is just hilarious to me because they come up with some of the craziest memes, man. Rob, talk about some of the memes that you've seen over the years as far as the community engaging with you and vidIQ. Well, I think the best ones are usually the ones uh, with wrestling because it mm. means that somebody puts my head on a really muscly body. <laughs> I seem to remember there was a really good one of, was this one to put my head on um, uh, Big E? Oh I, think. I, I, think, I think there was one there. I mean, a Viper, I've got all of these served somewhere, so, so I'll share with Maybe that should be like the thumbnail for this podcast, one of those memes of a week. And then there was a, a Tiger King uh, theme where I was the Tiger King. I was Baby Yoda from The Mandalorian. Uh, the list is almost endless. And, you know, it's credit to Daniel for thinking up of just a new way to do pretty much exactly the same thing every single week where Robbie's doing blank, make fun of it. And uh, considering it as a channel audit at the end of the, the process, usually as a prize, we, we do pretty well out of it. Yeah, like I said, some of the memes I've seen and some of the memes that people present have been absolutely hilarious. But I cannot please somebody put your head on Biggie's body. <laughs> I can't remember if it was Biggie. Oh he, he was definitely involved, but I don't know if I was on his head or like Baron Corbin's. I love it. I'm going to be silent now for a minute because I, I need to go find this. <laughs> Rob is in search mode. And that's the beauty of it because, you know, I'll do it on social media, but we'll do them during the live streams. We'll say, hey, we'll do channel audits, you know, do your best meme. You got 15 minutes, you got 20 minutes and Rob will start the counter and, you know, the Twitter feed immediately you know, some people are just so creative and they're just so expressive. And that's what's amazing is because this is a community of creators. So you see that. And then all of a sudden you have an insight into them sometimes where you go like, wow, you just created an amazing meme in seven minutes. You made Rob look amazing. And sometimes we'll go to their channel and their thumbnail game will be off. They'll have like the weakest banner in history. And you're like, yeah. in 10 minutes, you so made true. this amazing thing. 
and then this channel that you've dedicated hundreds of hours to it's like and then like then we'll have to jump into it and be like it's like we know you're creative you got these skills you need to take whatever inspired you 10 minutes ago and put that everywhere on this channel right now and let people see it because again we get dozens of submissions and it's that same thing on social media where you're just trying to get someone to see it and like stop that scrolling action right you're looking through your instagram feed you're looking through twitter you're half reading, you're skim reading, you see something and boom, you stop and you look at it. And that's what we'll end up doing. We're doing it on Twitter and bam, there's something that grabs your attention. And that's how YouTube is. You scroll through thumbnails, you're half reading titles, you're getting an image in milliseconds of what it is. Something stops, grabs your attention and you click on it. And sometimes you don't click on it then, but it comes back and you see it again. And then you saw it and you're like, yeah, that did resonate with me. All right. Yeah. I may not even like be super interested in the topic, but it just, something is drawing me now to that creative aspect of this video. And I want to at least jump into it and try it. That is pretty wild, man. That's pretty wild. Rob. Obviously, you've been making content for vidIQ on YouTube for about five years now. And we just talked about how we crossed the mile or you crossed the mile, sort of breaching one million. What are some of these standout moments in your memory in your time making video with vidIQ? Is that Bruno Sammartino? No, not Bruno. Um, Santino Morella. Yeah. So yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. For those of y'all who are listening, Rob has a picture up. It's had photoshopped on Santino Morella's body right now. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was the one I remember in particular. And then, uh, yeah, this is really good for podcasters, isn't it? But that's the one of uh, me as a Mandalorian. Wow. And, uh, this is me in GTA 5. I mean, oh, my you know, Lord. just go on and on and on. If only you all can see what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> what was the question again? Uh, standout moments. Um, standout moments during your vidIQ YouTube career, yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't think, uh, maybe this is a good thing. I, I can't think of a real standout moment on the channel per se because it has been gradual growth. I think there was one one of the moments of epiphany was where we did a video about YouTube hashtags, if you can believe that. And we were the first channel to really talk about hashtags as a, a new potential search traffic driver. And in the end, who cares about hashtags on YouTube? They don't seem to do anything. But because we were one of the first people to cover it, uh, it sent that video to the top of the search rankings and it's been there ever since. And that was a catalyst for starting to think about how we could become the primary resource for all sorts of basic YouTube education, whether it be how to add subtitles to your videos, how to delete videos, how to add videos to playlists. And when YouTube changed the studio from a classic version to the new version, and then I did all of these tutorials to match up the new studio, we got a lot of search traffic from that which was brilliant. It's now starting to turn into a bit of an Achilles heel, which we may talk about later. So that was, I guess, one of the epiphanies on the channel. We did quite a lot of trend jacking and surfing two or three years ago when I was looking at the PewDiePie versus T-Series uh, subscriber race, which was kind of a double-edged sword because we got a lot of traffic from it and a lot of new viewers, but they weren't necessarily interested in YouTube education. They were interested in the the subculture of a subscriber race. So it's kind of like a crossover topic, but it wasn't a shared audience. But it made me realize that if we can figure out how to merge trending topics in our space with YouTube education or insight, then we can reach a wider audience. And so we've kind of done that on and off, but not so much, strictly speaking, looking at the subscriber race. And then I, th I think I mentioned this during the live stream. I never thought 
people would value my opinion enough to have me on stage speaking at what many consider to be the the biggest video marketing conference in the world, which is VidCon speaking there. I guess that's like um, one of my professional highlights. Um, but again, I hope the hundreds of people who attended that got real value out of it. Right. Yeah, I remember we did talk about doing a live stream. How about how you recall your time speaking at VidCon? Have you ever spoken at VidCon by chance? I spoke at VidSummit the year before we went to lockdown and I was due to speak again here uh, in the one that we we just did, but uh, due to the unique way in which certain countries have certain travel restrictions, I went to get married in the UK two weeks before the conference, which meant that I couldn't travel mm-hmm. to the US. So uh, I, I couldn't make it this time, but yeah. next year, whatever's going on, I'll certainly be there. Yeah. And ironically enough, uh, I am the newest team member here to VidIQ, so I have not met Daniel or Robin personally. No, I've read Daniel personally. It's so memorable. <laughs> I have so not memorable. met Rob Wilson in person yet, so hopefully that will happen next year. Probably I'm guessing at VidCon. So. A lot of people are saying that, and I've got to be honest, you're going to be so disappointed Here when you goes. meet me in person. I'm an introvert. We are all I'm introverts. so boring. That is true. It's a giant convention <laughs> full of introverts. There's like hydrophobia no. with a bunch of people, but all just like not quite mingling together. But again, I think everyone got into their element. And then once there were a few drinks flowing and, you know, the pool, I think also draws a lot of people in the hotel. So you, uh, you go out there, you get a drink, you sit by the pool, all of a sudden there's a collection of people suddenly starting to talk and oh, yeah. up. And I think that's when deals get made in the business world. It's on the golf course in the YouTube convention world is right around that pool, right with the airplanes of LAX flying uh, right. above your head. See, Daniel moved so low-key that I almost forgot that I actually met him in person a few months ago, but I did meet Daniel in person, <laughs> definitely. There you go. I, I was hidden behind a mask and a camera <laughs> and several other objects at all times and a backpack as I quickly rambled from room to room trying to take pictures of people with millions and millions of YouTube subscribers so that I can get 150 Instagram likes. But you know, it's a fair trade in my book. Love it. I do want to try to provide some value to the listeners uh, during the podcast. So I want to talk about some of the videos that Rob has made recently on the channel. One of the videos that you made recently, Rob, has to do with increase and how creators are not utilizing increase enough. So can you talk to us a little bit about increase and why they are so important? Yeah, I'm still uh, trying to figure out how to use these most effectively. But up until three months ago, the channel average for end screen clicks at vidIQ was a paltry 1.5% because I just always neglected them. I just put up a template screen of like four end screens and like, have at it, click whatever you want. I don't care type of attitude. And it was actually Ed from Film Booth who kind of teased this idea to me of having one very intentional end screen. You know, don't give him if you give somebody more than a few options, they'll have choice paralysis. So just give them one option and be very explicit why you should choose that option. So I am now remembering, <laughs> there's several things that I'm trying to remember as I'm planning my videos these days. And one of them is where you're going to send the viewer next. And the idea is that, although this is quite difficult to measure, you want session watch time for your viewers. So they're not just watching one video and then leaving YouTube. They're watching a video and then watching another video. And if it happens to be one of your videos, even better. And the analytic that you want to be trying to pay a bit more attention to for that is unique viewers. Is it unique view? Yeah, unique views, which YouTube's kind of hidden away now um, because of brought in return viewers, uh, which is a very valuable analytic in itself. 
So right now, just to give you an idea of where video IQ is at, unique. Uh, is that, I'm forgetting. Is that the right analytic? You've got me wondering now. Um, average views per viewer. That's the metric I'm talking about. So this is essentially how many videos does a viewer watch in a certain time period? And ours is currently at 1.9. So over a 28-day span, and the average viewer watches two vidIQ videos. And we need to improve that. We need to get viewers to be more sticky. As an example, Emily D. Baker, who is a, a friend of vidIQ, I think her average views per viewer metric is something like six or seven or eight. You know, people love her content and come back to it time and time again. And I think end screens is one of those things that you use. So going back to the original number of 1.5%, I've now increased that to like 12, 14, 15%. So people are definitely clicking on our end screens more, which is fantastic, but I haven't quite worked out if I should make shorter videos to encourage people to click on the end screen because more people get to the end of a video or should I just keep the video length as is? Because another thing I've shifted from recently is going from like eight to 10 minute educational videos to like four to five minute one point videos. And I'm not sure if that's working just yet. Mm. And it's always the fine line we try to draw here on YouTube as far as how long does a video need to be? Obviously, the longer you make a video, the more average view duration you get, but your retention might not be quite up to snuff for a longer video because ultimately, I don't know, in my opinion, I don't know if it matters how long the video is, as long as you can find a way to keep the audience engaged throughout the entire video, because that is the goal. The goal is to maintain that retention, as you talk about a lot on the channel, getting people to watch whatever length of your video is, getting people to watch that video for as long as humanly possible, no matter what the length is. And I think that's the real metric. I even uh, watched one of the videos recently where you talked about engaging the viewers, engaging the audience during a video and how creators don't do enough of that. So I think that's an important thing to consider. Yeah, certainly. This is another thing that I'm now adding to my planning of videos. You can't just try and introduce a ton of stuff and then try and practice it all at the same time. But it's three principal things that I'm currently experimenting with on the channel, which is end screens. So getting people to watch another video after the one they're watching. The video hook. So in my vocabulary now, I've removed the word intro. It's got to be a video hook that delivers, starts delivering on the promise made in the thumbnail and the title. But then also some sort of secondary hook that's introduced in the first minute, minute and a half that kind of adds a new dimension to the video or like raises another question that ultimately is answered later on down the line. But again, in... This is where I'm struggling a bit with our educational content, trying to add those dimensions of entertainment storytelling within the content when it's not necessarily, you know, people didn't necessarily come for a story or, a, or intrigue or tension. But ultimately, that's why people stay in videos, even if it is something to do with education. Again, I'm going back to Film Booth, Ed, but he does a, an amazing job of this, like really re-engaging with the audience time and time again and planting these little seeds that are delivered later on down the line. And then, of course, Mr. Beast is like the, the ultimate master of this type of thing. He, he manages to hook people and re-engage them and hook them again and get some all sorts of chemical viewing chain reactions firing off in the first 10 seconds of his videos. Look, as YouTube creators ourselves, we've all been there. Sometimes the next video on your weekly upload schedule is right around the corner, but you have no idea what you're going to record. Well, this exact situation is why vidIQ developed Daily Ideas. It's our newest tool that can help provide you with up to 50 new video ideas every single day. 
Your daily ideas are generated by our AI, which analyzes your channel and the wider YouTube community to find trending topics with high view potential. With this new tool, you'll never run out of great ideas for new videos. You can try daily ideas for yourself today by downloading vidIQ at vidIQ.com. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into something that you just touched on, and that is video hook intro. I want to talk about intro though, because this is the question that I get asked a lot in clubhouse rooms and different areas of social media. Should I have an intro? This, this is what new creators ask me a lot or ask a lot of, should I have intros? And I try to tell them when you are just starting out on YouTube, no one knows who you are. And because no one knows who you are, chances are they don't care about you or your artistic point of view as it relates to your video. If they land on your video, they are probably there to get an answer to a question or to get some sort of information from you. And it is up to you as the creator to provide that information as quickly as possible. It's probably what Rob was alluding to when he talked about video hook. If you dangle out a potential solution at the beginning of the video, you need to deliver on that solution as soon as possible, especially as a new creator. Otherwise, you risk losing that viewer very early on in your video. I feel like Rob, when he made the video about intro during video hook, he said, don't use intro, but if you absolutely have to use an intro, it should be two seconds or less. And I kind of agree with Rob, though. I think if you're a new creator, you probably should focus less on intros and more on hooking and engaging your audience in the very beginning of the video. I think if you're a person that's asking that question, then that's exactly the answer. Don't be making intros. If you're at that point where you're, that's the question you're asking, do I need an intro? Do I need to state who I am? What Rob's thinking about now is taking that to a different level that, like he's saying, these are hooks, these aren't intros. These are ways to engage my audience, to make them think, to make them react in a certain way. So that's sort of the second level of thinking. If you're a new channel, you're at that first level of thinking, absolutely throw out those intros, get right to it, give people the value that will build your community and that will build you up. And then once you're at a place where you can feel more comfortable to experiment with that, to play around in a very particular way, as Rob's saying, you change one variable and you use that to get data. You don't change 10 things at once. You are at a point where you can adjust a little bit. You can play around with an intro because it has depth, because it has meaning to it, not because it's part of the formula for creating a video. And I think we all see that when you first become a creator, when you're young in this process, that's what you see, right? You say, okay, I start here. I intro what I'm about to do. I go over point A, I go over point B, I go over point C, I go over into an outro and then I'm done. But that's the very basics of a video and the storytelling, but that's not the way that YouTube works right now. That's not the way you're going to be able to create compelling content. That's sort of a very old way of thinking of it, which is weird in YouTube, which is new media, which is not old, but there are old ways of thinking about YouTube. And that is one of them. The new way is, again, if you're being informative, jump right into it. If you're at that next level storytelling, then you start to develop that aspect of your game. You can't do that right away. Yeah. I know, Rob, you've been doing some testing with the intro stuff on the vidIQ channel. What are your findings so far? So even with a two second intro. So like we used to have a four second intro and I decided I was going to get rid of that because I felt it was too long. And then we, we rebranded. I don't know if you've noticed uh, listeners, our logos have changed a little bit here and there. And we got a new stinger or intro, which was about two seconds. And I thought, okay, that actually seems like a good length. I'm going to use that. But what I'm starting to think about now is that if you have anything in your video that feels like a hard stop or a, a very strong pivot, i.e. 
an intro. It's kind of like you deliver the video hook, for example, and then you have an intro, which just stops everything. That is kind of like a, an immediate question to the viewer. Okay, while we've got this little pause, as short as it is, should I carry on watching this video? And I'm starting to think that people are making that decision in two seconds or less. So when we had the intro in, we were losing on occasion five or 6% of the viewers. And there was, an, you, know, you know, I'm doing hand gestures now again, which is useless on a podcast, but you get to the intro and then you'd see just like the incline, you'd see the, the, the angle of descent increase. And there was one particular example, which just sealed the deal. It was one where I was talking about YouTube sending shorts, bonus notifications out to people by accident. And so I intro that, that was the video hook. Like this is what YouTube has done. And then I had the um, the intro, which kicked in after 10 seconds, and I lost 12% of the views in that two-second intro. And I thought, that's it. I I'm done with intros. I don't know how to use them. I'm getting rid of them. If some people can prove in their data that their video intro works, and, you know, let's be clear here. When I'm talking about an intro, I'm talking about that clearly defined branded element that is almost like a video in itself and it's taking you out of the video experience for a second to identify what the channel's about. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about a video intro. If it's something that's more naturally incorporated into general conversation, discussion, and whatnot, then I think that's fine. But if you have an intro and then you're talking about who you are, why you should subscribe to a channel, why you should like it in the first 45 seconds when you haven't delivered any value, those are all death notes, I think, for a for a viewer's experience. And all you need to do is look at the audience retention and see that in the first 30 seconds, there's a hockey stick. You are losing a massive amount of people in that first 30 seconds. And you've got to deal with that. And so I've decided video intros is the first thing that I'm going to try and deal with. But I still haven't got it right. I think I still have to 30 seconds. Audience retention on the channel is around about 65 to 70%. And I want to get it to 70% or above of every video. So I feel as if I've got rid of one of the problems, but I haven't worked out how to enhance the experience and satisfy the viewers yet, which is why you keep iterating and keep learning and adapting. And I love how that last part, you just, you keep learning, you keep adapting. And I think that's very important as a creator that there's never no final form as a creator. You're always evolving. You're always learning and adapting to how the platform works. You're learning and adapting to what your audience wants. You're learning and adapting to what you like and don't like. So never feel like you are finished as a creator because you are never finished. We are always learning every single day, every single year, every single time we upload a piece of content, we are constantly learning. As long as you have that ability to want to learn and continue to learn and you enjoy learning every day as a creator, I think you will be very successful because again, there's really no end game as a creator. There's just constant evolution. And once you embrace that, that will take you a long way. I think in an interesting way, a vidIQ YouTube channel is almost you know, a map of the evolution of all these things, right? So as time goes, you know, some of the tactics change, some of the features change, you know, the dashboard and studio has changed. And, you know, the chat, a channel like ours has mapped it out over the past few years. And if you go over an extended time period, again, you could see the evolution of tactics, of strategies, of features, of all this stuff and how rapidly it's changing. And that just shows you how every single channel has to adapt to all these things. Because, you know, new things come, people's mindsets change, people in culture change, and you just have to shift along with them.
Yeah, and that, and that comes from looking at your analytics, identifying what's working and what's not working with your audience, and then making those data-driven decisions, which we at VidIQ highly encourage people to make data-driven decisions, and we give you the data to go ahead and make those decisions. Speaking of VidIQ, for those of y'all who are listening, most of y'all probably have tried VidIQ or whatnot, but if you, for whatever reason, you have not experienced VidIQ, you can go out to vidIQ.com, sign up for absolutely free. VidIQ is the best browser extension that you as a creator has at your disposal to learn and grow on YouTube. We have all types of tools out there. We have an AI that will generate video ideas. We have keyword search tools. We have keyword ranking tools. We have thumbnail comparison tools. We have a whole suite of tools at vidIQ that will allow you to learn and grow as a creator. So if for whatever reason you're listening to this podcast and you have not experienced vidIQ or tried it out, head on over to vidIQ.com, check it out. If you want to see Rob talk about some of this stuff, also head out to the vidIQ YouTube channel and check him out because he's always uploading videos, education videos, teaching you how to grow and use vidIQ best in your creative endeavors. Daniel, 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 Daniel. So outside of YouTube, I'm curious, what would you say is vidIQ's biggest platform outside of YouTube? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say definitely our Twitter channel is you know where we get the most engagement. And I think we have the most active community as a sort of front facing kind of social media. And I think that's where our personality kind of plays the well. It's you know a bit more humorous. It's you know, data-driven sort of educational. It's kind of a mix of those. But I think you find sort of the hardcore, highly engaged members of our community in our Discord and in our Facebook groups, what I like to call our highly engaged communities, people who have taken sort of that extra step to involve vidIQ in their day-to-day lives, to expand their network through vidIQ, to find other creators in the space. And I think you see a ton of that within those sort of close-knit groups where people are sharing their data, they're showing their analytics, they're you know sharing their incomplete thumbnails, their works in progress, talking to you know other creators and you know exposing some of the vulnerabilities of themselves and saying very clearly that you know I need help here you know I don't know what I'm doing and then to the opposite of that some people stepping up and I know you know Rob sort of mentioned this earlier that it's unbelievable to think that people value your opinion in that way and that you know are willing to take your advice about something that they have so much time and effort dedicated to so much passion going through well, that happens every single day in our communities. People who, you know, have small channels who are just, you know, doing little things, who are trying to learn, see other people or try to help them and get great feedback saying, wow, you know, you've helped me. And, you know, they're not even in the place where we are, where we ha- feel like we have some authority, some gravitas, where, you know, vidIQ, we have a million subscribers. These are literal one-on-one connections. And I know people of, you know, Viper and, and Rob who are of a similar kind of generation, that wasn't a thing a long time ago. There was no one-on-one digital communication. There wasn't even digital communication. It was taboo to think, oh, I made a friend on the internet, much less someone that has forever changed my life. And, you know, whether you look at vidIQ that way in changing people's lives or in our Discord community, just hanging out and talking to someone who may not have someone else to sort of share those things with, you know, it's sort of an amazing and empowering thing that vidIQ has allowed, even allowed me to do, where I'm the same way, where it's like, who am I to necessarily tell you how to grow your YouTube channel? Who am I to tell you how to grow a community? But at the end of the day, I'm a helpful, friendly guy. I'm just trying to do the best for other people and support them along their way. And people are extremely appreciative of that. And people are extremely appreciative of what vidIQ does and what the entire community has done for them. Absolutely. And can we just give Discord credit for having probably the best platform name ever? <laughs> I mean, there's not a more apropos platform name than Discord. I don't know what it is. 
But I love that first thing that you highlighted, how you said that Twitter is probably our most engaged platform beyond YouTube. Because I have tried to tell creators pretty much all year that if you are a YouTuber or a creator on YouTube, you need to be on Twitter because Twitter is the global water cooler that's where all of us creators hang out. And it's just so easy to talk to and engage with other creators on Twitter, but not just other creators. You can engage with brands on Twitter as well. So if you are a creator and you're listening to this podcast and you're not on Twitter, you should probably consider getting on Twitter. There are opportunities on Twitter that you might not be aware of. So you should definitely get on Twitter if you're a creator. I would, I would recommend that. What I would say is that that's a great point is that there's daily opportunities on Twitter. When things break, when there's news, when there's things happening, Apple conventions, new things released, everyone's on Twitter talking about it. Like, you know, people are on other social media, like there's things going on. On Twitter, in the second, people are talking about it. You could say something insightful. You can say something funny. You could say something in that moment that will gain you eyeballs and that opportunity to be, you know, sort of a creator in your space to have, again, some gravitas, some experience behind you to say that people enjoy what I say. People are responding to it. And Twitter, again, while it has its downsides, it's not an amazing place all the time. It's a great place for opportunity and it's a great place to, you know, find people of a similar nature. I've got a question for you, Viper, at this point on the subject of Twitter. How on earth do you get any work done when you post 17 tweets in eight hours? Wait, that's it? <laughs> it's not more? That's like a light day, it sounds like, man. 17 tweets in eight hours and light work. 17 tweets. That's what I've got right here, yeah. <laughs> well, Rob, the secret is that some of those tweets are probably forward. So there you go. <laughs> oh, all right. I see. Uh-huh. Also, speaking of Twitter, if you want to be the first to see the memes that the community creates of Rob, you should definitely be on Twitter to see the memes. So speaking of Rob Wilson, you just hit Yo. a million on YouTube. So the people want to know, Rob, what is next for the vidIQ YouTube channel? Where what direction are we going? Well, in the famous words of Charlie Sheen in Hot Shots, I'm going to Disneyland. That's all I'm interested in. Uh, That's Disney all I'm doing next. Not world, just land, huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I've actually not been to Disneyland. I've been to Disney World, not land. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a fun, pointless fact. So we are still discussing this, but I think in the next year, two years, I think the aim for vidIQ is to evolve from, strictly speaking, an educational channel, whereby I think... Roughly speaking, our target audience tends to be YouTube channels that are under a thousand subscribers and they are working towards monetization, 1,000 subscribers, 4,000 hours of watch time, and they are getting frustrated with their journey. They have had maybe some small pieces of success on their channel, but now they're looking for answers and they search for how to get more subscribers, how to get more views, and they find vidIQ. I feel as if that's currently where we lie as a channel and where we operate best. But there is so much more untapped audience out there, you know, people who have monetized, who want to turn their channels into businesses and full-time professions. I think also there is so much that goes on in YouTube culture that we just gloss over the surface of. I mean, you, you saw the unbelievable Squid Games phenomenon that took over YouTube for a good couple of weeks. And we want to respond to that more with the incredible amount of data that we have on the platform. And I think just up until this point, we haven't necessarily had the, the resources to do it. Uh, but as 
vidIQ grows and as the channel grows, it's going to be time to add more resources into that. So don't be surprised if in the future you see more talent on the channel, because I'm just a guy who reads an auto queue, nothing more than that. And we want more people who are much better at reading auto queues than me. And I think just a high level of production. I mean, generally speaking at the moment, when it comes to the vidIQ channel, it is mostly myself and Dan, uh, when he has time, making content and doing the whole thing, you know, doing the thumbnails, the titles, the, the filming, the editing, the optimization. And we want to get to a point where we're not having our resources and skills pulled in many different directions, but we can just focus on the things that we're best at. And then we have other people who are... Uh, experts at making thumbnails and doing that, you know, so we're essentially building up a production team for the channel. But that's a lot to do and there's a long way to go. And hopefully um, we're going to be starting all of that very soon um, with some strategic meetings. Uh, I think we're all looking forward to, and then kickstart in 2022 with all of this in place. Absolutely. That's a lot. I said a lot of things. You there, did. You said a lot of things, but you brought up some good points. I think there's definitely room for expansion with vidIQ if, especially as far as the content goes and trying to intermingle the educational content with things that are happening in the mainstream, like you alluded to the Squid Game phenomenon and how we kind of jumped on that. Doing more of that probably in our future for sure. The channel going to grow, the company growing. So definitely be on the lookout for vidIQ in the future because we are going to be doing some big things for sure. One of the things I think um, creators struggle with is the idea of control and giving up control in terms of you get to a certain size of community and content and quality that you have to start handing off these things. And we haven't done that up until this point. And I think it's time to start doing that. I always consider myself like a six out of 10 at thumbnails. And I don't think I'm ever going to get any better at it unless I get a mentor to help me do that or we hand it off to somebody who's, that is their sole responsibility. You know, they're, they're just an excellent graphic designer, thumbnail creator. And so maybe you're going to start to see more conversations like that from us in terms of, okay, we've got so many people to a certain point by themselves. How do we help other creators build their teams and start to build their own empires? It's interesting that you allude to that because we kind of have started a little bit of that. I've been on the team for two months and you guys have pretty much practically handed me the podcast range for me to do it for what I please. So that's been a pretty cool experience in itself. So I know it's a slow process. This stuff does not happen overnight, but we are slowly starting to transition over to bringing more people on and having more people do dedicated things. So you can free yourself up, free Dan up, and you got you guys do what you do best and different things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel. Any imparting word for the people before we uh, give them their week back? No, I'd just like to uh, point out that I see the glint in Rob's eye whenever one of our creator partners mentions the team of people that they have behind their back. So when Think Media mentions their team of editors and researchers and the different specialties, uh, you could see both the glint in Rob's eye, but also the machine turning and you know the wonderful things that he is capable of. And I think Rob, in his most humblest of ways, uh, will never admit it, but he is attracted so many people to the vidIQ channel with his personality, with the warmth that he brings to it, with his accent as well, which I think for some reason helps a lot. If you look at a lot of the channels that I subscribe to, there are a lot of English and Australian accents. I don't know what the reasoning is for that, but there is something that is comforting about learning from someone with an English accent, even if they've moved to Canada. 
but <laughs> to not get sidetracked that it is um, inspiring to think of what Rob can do and what this team can do with more people when Rob, as he has said, has done so much just by himself and just by being great at certain things and then being scrappy at, you know, sort of every other thing. And it is funny when we look at a channel audit or we look at someone in the community and we try and judge their thumbnails and their thumbnails are like way better than anything I could ever do. And you have to be like, you know what, we're trying to be as judgmental as possible and, you know, try and give you a little bit of tips. But in the back of your mind, you're like, man, that guy is killing it. And, you know, we obviously give people their props when they do that and, you know, try and point out when people are killing it. But, you know, the future holds great things. VidIQ is on the way up. And what I'm hearing from these skill sharing sessions, things that we'll be doing is I may be meeting Rob Wilson in person. We'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully he'll remember me a little bit more vividly than Viper did at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, gentlemen, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Dan, for joining me this week on the podcast. I definitely appreciate you guys. For those of y'all listening out there, if you want to interact with the podcast, ask questions, different things like that, just tweet at us, at vidIQ. If you do that, make sure you include the hashtag TubeTalk in your tweet so I can reach them easily, and then maybe you might end up on an episode of TubeTalk. So definitely uh, do that. The feedback is definitely encouraged. But I am Viper, the man about tech. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of TubeTalk, and we will see you next week. Happy holidays. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by vidIQ. Head over to vidIQ.com slash Tube Talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.